You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Alec Brownscombe, Anthony Petrelli, and Declan Karen. In this episode, the guys discuss Mitch Marner's incredible play, his contract considerations, Travis Dermott's potential to play in the top four, recent team play, and much more. Welcome, everyone, to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. I'm Alec Brownscombe, and I'm joined, as always, by Anthony Petrielli and Declan Karen. How's it going, boys? Not too bad. We're recording this episode coming off of back-to-back Leaf wins over Pittsburgh and Vegas. In between our last episode and this one, Austin Matthews went down to an injury and he's going to be out uh, at least another three weeks or so. Original timeline on that injury is four to six weeks. And William Nylander obviously remains missing in action without a contract. Despite those two factors, the Leafs are currently 10-5-0 and and are sitting pretty nonetheless. Um, where I want to start with this one, guys, is who's been sort of carrying the load lately for the team with those two um, missing. And obviously we can get into Tavares a little bit, but I want to start with Mitch Marner. Just to, to kind of get this flowing, I'm going to read off a couple numbers to you that I was looking up uh, for the game review and didn't end up putting in the other night. Uh, in the calendar year 2018, he's top 20 in NHL scoring with 59 points in 57 games. So far this season, he's tied for the league lead in primary points. Uh, since last February, which you guys can maybe correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think he moved up onto that cadre line, right, with with Marlowe. Was that right, right around late January, early February, or misremembering? February, I think, yeah. No, I think it was. I think so, it was January because they had that like brutal stretch in December where um, Goat and Martin, Matt Martin, uh, God rest his soul, on the Islanders now. Yeah, he's got three, together. three Genos. Does he really? Three Genos in ten games, which is yeah. For I think him. that's his. It was his career highest leaf. But so let's assume February because that's just what I clicked on NHL.com, and I'm pretty. I seem to recall it was a late January switch where they moved. Marner up off the JVR Bozak line for good, thank God. And since February of last season, which again was when he moved up, I think he's got 53 points in 45 games, which actually puts him inside the top 10 in NHL scoring since since last February. That's ninth, tied with Kucherov and ahead of Brad Marchand and Alex Ovechkin. And that also wouldn't include the playoffs, which he had, I think it was nine points in seven games in that Boston series to lead all Leafs. So, Anthony, where do you put Mitch Marner right now in the overall league conversation as far as uh, wingers? That's a good question. Like, going through wingers, it would be, I mean, Ovechkin is still a monster. So, I mean, he's up there. Panarin is having, like, another ridiculous season on uh, on Lumbus. So, I don't. I I'd probably put Panarin slightly ahead of Marner right now, um, and then I start racking my brain. Uh, Rantanen obviously is just having a ridiculous. Like he had what eighty two points last year, and then he he leads the league in points over the last. I said I said Marner was ninth. I think he might be in the top five. Yeah, uh, since in the calendar year twenty eighteen. Like, like he's amazing. That might be the best line in the league right now. So he's he's right up there, ahead of Marner for now, anyways. Um, Brad Marchand, I've you know just I don't like him as an opponent, but like as a player, and if he wasn't in our division, probably would be one of my favorite players in the league. <laughs> uh, just like that guy does everything, it's ridiculous. It's interesting that you say that. I agree. I think you're getting at basically he, Marner's probably in just a notch below that elite group of. Ovi, Marchand, Kane. Kane's, Kane's in there. Probably Taylor Hall's in there. Uh, Panarin, as you said. Tarasenko probably deserves a mention. I think Point's starting uh, to get into the conversation as well, Braden Point. Yeah, but if him and Rantanen like, do what they're doing right now over a full 82-game season, I like they're cementing themselves in that company, I would say. the the uh, You mentioned Marchand, Anthony. It's funny because obviously Marner's not Marchand insofar as he's not a heel like he, like Marchand is for the league, and he's not. He doesn't bring the nastiness and the edge of a Marchand. But it's interesting as far as players who drive a line off the wing, who can play against anyone, like any. They can play top matchups and outscore them. 
they played both special teams, which Marner does now, right? He plays both special teams at an arguably elite level. Yep. Runs one of the top power plays in the league. Uh, really, really taking to the PK quickly this year, which I think we all knew would happen if he just got his opportunity. But as far as that sort of all-around impact, both sides of special teams, off the, driving a line off the wing, playing tough minutes, to a really good 200-foot game. Like as far as overall impact, it's not totally dissimilar to to what like when I'm talking when Mar- when Marner reaches his prime years, where Marchand is now, you can see an overall impact sort of on that level, less the nastiness. No, one weird thing I'll say about Marner right now, I find anyway, is I like I think he's quite good on the PK. I, I like him there a lot. Wouldn't criticize that. I don't love him defensively five on five though. Like there's kind of like a weird weird thing there. Like he ma- he actually made a one of his nicer plays I've seen in the defensive zone yesterday, like picking a puck up off the half wall, and he kind of like waited it out and then fed the D-man in the middle of the ice. I think it was Gardner. Um, and they had like a nice breakout, but like he struggles on the wall there. And But I think part of it is systemic, which we'll get to as well um, in this pod. But uh, five on five, but he'll clean it up. Like he's so young. And some of the stuff he's doing, like the one, the one thing that he like has just like completely floored me the entire season was when they were in Winnipeg and he put it through Bufflin's legs, like right after Winnipeg made it three, two, and then he came back and he put it through Bufflin's legs and then like on a knee set up JT at the back. Post. Yeah. But like, yeah, just even having like the stones to try to put it through Bufflin's legs and cut through him. Like he's dead. Like Bufflin connects with him. Like Great see team. you later. Yeah. Like I couldn't even imagine like, some of the stuff where he's looping the zone, whatever, like, that's cool. He's super skilled. But, like, Bufflin is 6'5", like, 260. And you're going to put it through his <laughs> legs and cut around him. And then, like, they score. And he's so casual about it, like, chewing his mouth guard and stuff. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> also, yeah. I don't know if you heard Hainsey's quote the other day. He said that he kind of went out of his way on the radio to point out that Martin, the importance of Marner in the room, he says he's probably the most slept on guy as far as like, he's a future leader in the, on the team, uh, which, you know, I think <laughs> he was kind of getting at in the summer when he was like, I want to be taken more seriously. And we all, we've all made the same jokes, but I, I think he's, he's got like a, a real leadership potential here as well. And that kind of bridges into the contract discussion, which it seems I, I wanted to start with the numbers and with the impact he's made because it feels like whenever he does anything good, the first thing the TSN panel does is jump into, well, he's now worth 10. He's now worth 10 and a half or whatever. Like it, the conversation goes there almost immediately. And, you know, we should probably talk about it briefly. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I th- I'm going to start by saying that like the $10 million contract thing that's getting bandied about, I don't think there's much precedent for that. Like you look at, what Kane did over his entry level years. And he ended up, I think at 6.3 million on a $60 million cap, which works out to, you know, roughly 10 and a half percent, sort of the equivalent of like eight and a bit. Uh, that's probably the neighborhood you're talking about, given that Kane had Kane started in the league as a, what an 80 or 80 or 90 point guy, 85 point guy. And has certainly outproduced Marner over the, the length of his ELC. You could also, I think, point to Taylor Hall's uh, contract there, which was six. I think it was six over six. Is that yeah. right? And that's the equivalent because that was signed under a $60 million cap. So, again, that's seven and a half-ish today. So, and he's playing on, he's obviously playing on horrible Oilers teams there. And he got the one year, I think, cut in half by the lockout. But his production over the three ALC seasons, I think, is going to end up being pretty similar to what Marner's was or is right now. Mm-hmm. So if if you take those two numbers, you guys not see it as coming in probably between seven and a half and eight and a half at the end of the day. I mean, it's a lot can change if he goes and hit pushes a hundred this year. It's a different conversation, right? Yeah. What do you think, Declan? I, I think they're using examples of, of poorly run organizations that throw huge contracts to players that are undeserving of it so far. And and if if they want to do that, then great. But it, there's no precedent for it. They have uh, control over them, so there's no. They're in. they will be the same situation as what's happening with Nylander right now. So they can, they can hold out with him as well and say, "This is what we're prepared to offer you to make this team fit into the cap and hopefully win a championship or, or more than one championship for a number of years." And and uh, I don't I don't see why they would just start throwing around four million dollars more than what they're offering Nylander right now when there's 
no difference between the players at five and five since they've entered the league. And I, I don't know where they come up with the numbers. Sometimes I, I, uh, I don't get it. Yeah, that's that's recency bias run amok. I think. Like you, you look at the the numbers. I was looking at this last week, so it's probably a little bit different now with Marner's heater that he's on. But Nylander was at five point two even strength points per game uh, over his hundred sixty odd games that he's been in the league. Marner's at point five five. So I wouldn't say that's a four million dollar cap. <laughs> and ultimately, circumstances being what they are, Marner is gonna outproduce Nylander last season and this season probably, and that is what gets players paid ultimately it's not really about what Nylander might have done with the same power play opportunities or whatever but you know that's kind of just how the world works but it's definitely not a three four million dollar gap right Anthony I mean I would for sure be coming out on the very high end and just making it very clear like Nikita Kucherov makes 9.5 million you're not making more than that like when they start saying like 10 10 and a half 11. Yeah, right on your second contract, yeah. getting Kucherov money? No Kuch- way. Kuch- it just Kucherov doesn't happen. We had a bridge deal, so that's his third contract yes. and a second. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I like if that if the numbers are going to get to that region, and I'm not sure if they will. I don't think they will, but like that's my first comment. Like you're not making more than Kucherov and I take Dex point too, like you know, crappy organizations making crappy deals and all that, but like part Buffalo. of the thing there is yeah, Buffalo, like Eichel, like if if I'm any RFA that's worth anything good, I'm like, here's Eichel's deal and I want this money. But um, I, I don't know how much weight that holds in negotiations to say like, well, like for a team to just sit there and be like, well, that's a bad deal by a bad team. Like I, and he's you know, a number one centerman, so you mean. Yeah, but like, you know, I don't think the gap between Nylander and Marner is like three or four mil, but like, let's be very clear, like the Leafs power play has been, you know, amazing for a year and change now like last season and then so far this season and it's completely run through marner like nobody else so one there's a significant notch above nylander nylander's good on the power play but he's not running the power play marner's quite literally everything they do is built around marner six on five running the power play that was second in the league though right yeah it was really good but then they wanted to do it again last the last season and he did nothing and now he's not playing hockey this year so (laughs) You know, you well, your mind kind of goes to that, then, doesn't it, Anthony? Whether or not that's a sticking point for Willie right now, yeah. I think it was was it Friedman who brought that up. Like, I'm not going to be running a power play here. Like, it's it's hard to know how much that factors in, and like everyone wants to speculate that Marner's going to be an easier time than Nylander. I think there's a perception it could be. I'm going to go ahead and say xenophobia when you say like a, a local kid versus a a Swede who's hanging out in Europe right now not playing. It's easier to to say that the local kid's going to be, you know, he'll take whatever terms the team can make work for him. But there was this interesting comment. I don't know if you guys saw this. Just before the season started, I think, or shortly after, Marner's agent was on the radio, and he was talking about how Marner has already taken a discount. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yeah. And what he's referring to there, because it was kind of an ambiguous remark, and I instantly didn't really know what he was talking about, but it's... It's what Lou did with the bonus structure on that contract, right? Yeah, he would. Like he's referring, yeah, he's referring to the lesser bonus structure he took on the entry level deal, and I think that was the very first thing that Lou Lamorello did as Leafs general manager, if I'm recalling correctly, yeah. was sign Marner within a couple of days of of joining the Leafs. And you could, I mean, you could take that a couple of ways. Like one, it's probably not the best that the players, the player and their agent, you know, they, they've already got it in their head that they've taken a discount before they're even off their entry-level deal. Like, I don't think you could easily see how that doesn't help Dubas's case. But two, like, the agent was also pretty clear that Marner was pushing to do whatever he could to help the team. So, you know, may, maybe that's a good sign of what's to come. It's just, it's pretty clear at this point that banking on discounts is a is a massive error if that's what the Leafs are doing, right, Anthony? Yeah, like, the... How much are we going to get into the Nylander negotiation right now? Because I know we talk about it. It feels like we're obliged to talk yeah, about it every time. Nothing, nothing changes. Like, yeah, yeah and, and the other thing, too, I think um, that'll give Marner a leg up going through is that he plays PK now. Yeah. Like, we were yeah, just talking about that. Here. That's, like, Nylander's not playing PK. <laughs> That's just it's not happening. Maybe if they moved him to center, it would help. Um, the power play point you made is, I mean... How much ice time, like, you look at it, like, the top units usually, at least for Babcock teams, usually play, like, 
two and a half minutes to three minutes a game, depending on how many power plays you're getting. And then yeah. the well, which is very very few right now, but yeah, yeah, which is I mean, drive the net, you'll get power plays. <laughs> um, Cycling, and then get a power play. yeah, just anything with but anyways um like you know and then the second unit's getting what a minute and a half two minutes but like the thing that kills it is even if the time isn't that massive like going on with 55 seconds left on a power play after the other team has shot it down is way different than starting uh you know oh, his yeah. own face off first two minutes or for you know you know power play time hasn't even ticked down yet like it's way different the the one thing I'll say, though, not not to completely shift gears on topics, but I know sometimes, I, I see sometimes now Babcock gets criticized for, like, having, you know, guys XYZ on the ice in certain scenarios, whether it's, like, a second power play unit or, like, a third line out, you know, down a goal or whatever. But, like, they've got nothing yeah, right also now. Also, those, Anthony, those are the same people that were complaining about the lack of a loaded power play unit. <laughs> that's the funny thing. Because it's a direct product of power play shift. I mean, if you... That's what I mean. It's it's a product of the fact that they've stacked up a unit, or they they were before Matthews got hurt. So who are you going to play after there's like no players left? Yeah, there's you got to play someone. They can't play the final ten to fifteen minutes when they're chasing a game. Mm-hmm. Like Par Lindholm's going to have to take a respectable shift with four minutes with under five minutes left. It's just it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're getting at? Yeah, yeah, like they have no choice. Like what's he going to do? Like at the end of the Dallas game, like they were dying at the end of that game. Like they like they didn't have any legs left. I. I think a a not not tired Mitch Marner probably puts a bit of a better like he didn't take put a bad shot on net at the very end there but probably puts a bit of a better shot and like you saw how gassed they were when they uh, there was a shift there where Dallas uh, they had a guy without a stick and they were working it around like a power play and then they just made like a sloppy play to get a whistle and like they had nothing left but like and like that was with Babcock putting that third line out. With like three minutes left, and people are like, "Why is that third line out there? Who else is he gonna put out there? There's nobody else." Yeah. The other options were literally goat, or just like play Marner completely into the ground, or like nothing. And I mean, this was the this is kind of the trade off you make. Like Babcock liked doing the even distribution of. He had nine forwards or whatever last year, or whatever it is. Yeah, nine forwards or eight forwards, whatever it was, the regulars on the, we want to consider the regulars on the power play, six or seven of them, were all within a minute 50 to 2.05, right? And you could come off of power plays with a bit more of a respectable unit, but if you're going to load it up and you're going to have your third line, it's going to have to take a shift after a power play, regardless of the time of the game. So they can, like, this is just basic math as far as the ice time. So yeah, I don't really get the criticism of Babcock's management late in games, uh, which we can get into a little bit about the home versus away thing. But I also, before we get too far into this, um, I want to get into the D and ice time there a little bit uh, with with Travis Dermott's play lately, especially. Uh, to me, guys, right now, they've got two pairings going with Riley and, and Hainsey and then Dermott and Ozaganov. I think they're both playing reasonably well uh, for the most part. The question is, like, we've all seen the Dermot shot attempt numbers. At what point do you make that move, and do you make that move this season? And does it involve uh, putting Dermot on the right in order to get him more minutes into the top four? I think the the ice time against uh, Vegas the other night had Ozaganov below 10 minutes. Yeah, nine um, minutes or so. But again, they're, yeah, and that's defending a lead, obviously, for most for almost the entire game. And Dermot was at 17 or 18 minutes. But I guess it's, Anthony, do you think that y- you can move Dermot into the top four on the right? Or would it just be about trying to get that pairing more minutes? And maybe you start trying to maybe reconfigure how you how you look at your pairings as far as maybe you don't have a second and third pairing. You have two pairings that are kind of a little more evenly distributed as far as that second and third pair. I, I don't think it's likely to happen anytime soon. Babcock's going slow and steady with Ozaganov and Dermot alike. But you could see how, like, eventually that's got to be the play. Is Do you move Riley to the right? I Probably not. But could you move Dermot to the right and, and slide him into a top four role? Yeah, I I would definitely try it because he he's done it in pro hockey, right? Like, he played, they've played him on the right in the A at times. So it's not, like, completely foreign to him. Uh, so it's worth a yeah. shot. And, like, 
obviously I know his his like underlying numbers have been strong and all that like I always preface that with saying like when you're playing weaker players and all this like and you're getting sheltered like you take it with a huge grain of salt but I think he's proven enough to at least be given the opportunity but if you're gonna if you're gonna move if you're also gonna say like you're gonna take more responsibility and you're gonna go play on your offside like it's a big leap. Yes, it's a big leap. I'd yeah. be very impressed if he could handle it. Um, I don't know if I would be surprised if he could handle it, just very impressed. I just wouldn't be like down on the player if he moves up and like struggles a little bit playing his offside with Jake Gardner, who hasn't really looked good at all this season. Um, it's like, but then what are you going to do? Are you going to put well, Zaitsev? Yeah, with... what are you going to do? Because like the idea of Dermot and Zaitsev That's not happening. is kind of like a... I don't know, either your two or your three pairing on any given night sounds better to me, but then you're in a position where your Ozaganov, who we just mentioned, played under 10 minutes, and Babcock's bringing him along the slow and sitting him, resting him every so often. He's, he's, he's not going to play with Gardner, and he, given Gardner's playing 20 minutes or 18, 19, 20 minutes a night, right? No, think, not at all. I, I think what might end up happening is it just, like you were saying, they'll just start adjusting their, their ice time and their competition accordingly, so... If Gardner and Zaitsev are starting to, you know, implode, which they can do as a pairing, we saw as we saw in the Boston series, and we've seen it at points this year, is to just start to introduce more, keep the the Dermot and Rosiganov pair together, and just start introducing more uh, sort of more competition to their to the role, and um, it's sort of an under the radar way of of changing your second pairing to your and your your third pairing and, and swapping them, and that was one of the things we talked about in in one of our previews for the. Uh, for previewing, previewing the defense on Maple Leafs Odsto is uh, is what we were saying that Dermot might be able to uh, start to see second pairing minutes as Gardner and Rosetsev start to have bad bad stretches or whatever. Here, I, I, I think Dermot can play the right, uh, ignoring the question about quality of competition and the step up that way in matchups, but. Like he's really good at settling pucks down in awkward spots, mm-hmm. and he has the skill, I think, to make it work. Like the reason, he's good at making those little adjustments with his feet to receive passes, and he can get himself out of a lot, a lot of awkward spots doing that. I just think he's on a program right now with Babcock that, honestly, he's Babcock's probably right not to accelerate in any way. Like we we we're marveling over how good Riley looks this year, and it's. I think the the template's pretty similar, isn't it, Anthony? As far as how you bring Dermot along, obviously he's not as advanced as Riley was at, at at the same age, and he's not playing in the top four like Riley was. But it's the same idea, right? Where you just you he's right now he's he's PKing uh, this year. He looks all right doing that. Uh, you bring him along slowly so that he's not overexposed, and you don't you don't shoot a player's confidence too early, right? Yeah, fair. I want to say two things to that. Um, the first being. I mean, Riley was way more accomplished offensively than Dermot, but um, like just as a prospect in general. But if Dermot like moves into the top four for the second half of the season and plays well, how much do you really want to sign Jake Gardner to like six million a year or whatever it is he's going to make? And it would be kind of handy to just to see how Dermot handled it for a bit before he made that decision, wouldn't it? Yeah, like yeah, right. I'm not saying that would be a real indication of how his career is going to go, but. Just just to get a look at it and see how he responds, I think it behooves them to try it at some point this year. Yeah, that's and, one of the other it, things is that I, as, as good as Dermot is and as as good at hands he has and as good as his skating and footwork is, he's never actually put up a big season offensively either in the OHL or, or the AHL. Um, are you expecting to put up forty points on the second pairing? I, if they're a, a cup contending team, maybe forty points is more more of a reasonable expectation, but. I don't. I don't see him putting up his best career totals at the NHL level, having never done it before. Well, it'd be interesting to see. Like he's moved up. Anthony made the right point, but like it's you got to take sheltered minutes. Like he's playing with a grain of salt as far as the underlying numbers. But you can see that whenever he's on the ice, whatever line it is, the third or the fourth, you can look at the wowies. It's not just the fourth line; it's the third line as well. And I think a, a, pretty much across the board, like. Some of it is to do with zone starts, but he's the team breaks out really well with him on the ice. So if he was if he was sharing the ice with Matthews and Tavares more often, and Marner and Nylander, if he ever shows up, those plays start to get completed more often. Those plays get completed, and, and suddenly you're you're walking away on a, a good night offensively with two points, two apples on the night, right? Like you can, 
I can see how Dermott's probably not like I don't think he's going to quarterback your top power play. I don't think like like Riley is right now. Um, but I could certainly see him as a thirty or forty point guy steadily in the top four, can't you, Anthony? Yeah. The other thing I was going to add too, um, you know, the uh, Riley right-handed stuff and all that was, I've noticed this like thing that's happening right now where um, people seem fond of saying like, oh, like um, Babcock took Riley first year and like didn't put him on the power play and like made him work on his like defensive game and like now like he's unleashed him. And he's, like, doing really well. And, like, I honestly think that had no impact. I just think that he didn't play power play for a year and didn't get any points because of it. Like, he would have been fine. Like, when they put him (laughs) on the power play that year, which they did in five-on-threes, they'd score. And then they'd get a five-on-four, and they're like, no, we're going to put Nikita Zaitsev on. And, like, the things that have changed are basically now he plays power play, and their team is way better. (laughs) Like, you know. Yeah, when he charges up, when he charges up, the ice and wants to give and go, he actually gets it back. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> right? if I agree with that. I mean, I think his defensive positioning is significantly better since he was just having... Yeah, he, I, I think there's the truth in the middle here. He is better yeah. defensively, but is it because he didn't play power play for a season? Yeah, he, he was focused on shutting guys down and he, he struggled That's the first year real. doing it. He, he was a little bit better doing it the next year and I think he's doing fine now, especially considering he's got a, a non-top four defenseman as his pairing and playing on his wrong side. Uh, he I, is a pro athlete, not like a twelve-year-old. Like my, like he can multitask and like play on the power play, but also like learn how to play defense at the same time. Let's jump into this, uh, which is a quote that I wanted to bring up and just kind of get both of your reactions to from John Tavares the other night in, in the intermission after the the Leafs. I think we can all agree played a pretty good first period against Vegas. Uh, lots of ozone time. Uh, I think the possession was fairly even, but they generally looked to be pretty going pretty well. Their third line finally made a contribution offensively and looked pretty good early. And generally speaking, they were going and they were skating and they looked good. Uh, second, they I wouldn't say directly after the Marner goal because Marner had this crazy shift where he started that second period like a minute and a half long and then still somehow found it in him to burst to the middle for a breakaway. Uh, I think he was a minute 40 into his shift. But after that Marner, that crazy Marner shift at the start where he scored and then had uh, set up another chance and nearly had another breakaway, they really parked the bus. I don't know what the shots were, but it, it felt like they got at least doubled up uh, in the final 40 minutes. It was 37-21 total. Yeah, and the possession chart just tanks as of the early second period. Um, and they iced the puck, I think. I don't know how many times it was. It was five or six. Uh, just doing the same the same thing we've seen for this team two or three years in a row, well, two years in a row. And Tavares was asked, like, what's, you guys seem to be sitting on this lead. What's going on? You're parking the bus a little bit. What What does the team need to do differently uh, to get on the front foot in the third period? And he said uh, to Mark Masters, the intermission there, we've just got to be a little bit more together. All five guys coming up the ice together, supporting the puck and being able to be available for outlets. This is kind of the obvious common sense thing that we've been uh, talking about ad nauseum, the three of us between the reviews, the notebooks, and on social media. We've been beating this drum for a long time. I know you have, Anthony. Like The 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 thing that kind of gets to me is like ba- Mike Babcock's – I don't can't remember a time where he's ever said anything like that. Can you? No, and you know what was the most telling thing that I've maybe seen this season is – in the second there, Connor Brown got that breakaway off the face-off flip play. And then shortly after, there was a D-zone draw, and the Leafs won it, and they tried it again, and it went for icing. And then they won it, and they tried it again, and then it went for icing. And then they lost the face-off after that. But I'm sure they would have tried it again. Now, how many times do you think you have that play in your bag of, of tricks? Like once a game tops, right? Like, like let's be real. Like once a game tops, they like they tried that play and and the D man just, you know the the D man on the wall on Vegas held in and the the far the far D man just backed up the second the Leafs won the face off. Like at best you have that trick in your bag once, but like to literally just try it over and like Gardner wasn't it was Gardner who was making the play and like it's actually not a comment on him at all. Like he wasn't even thinking. 
Like it was. Well, I saw Garner at one point. I don't know if this is no. I don't think this is the example you're talking about, but it's similar. It's this is why it's hard to sort of meet out the responsibility for this stuff because at one point Naz, someone clipped it, I think, and tweeted it. But I almost grabbed the video for the review. Naz swung low for like a a, a bump past the middle, and Garner just stretched it out anyway for an icing. Like it's. Sometimes it is that the forwards are stretching the ice and bailing on the zone and banging their heads against the wall while the other team sees it coming. Other times, like the the D are just defaulting to it, even when the the like the safety valve is there. That's what's crazy to me. And then on the Babcock point, he was asked about this directly as well, Anthony. Like you had this quote. What was the quote? It was he. I'm just pulling it up right now. He. This is a quote now. The league is up so tight on you now. Everyone talks about entries and stuff like that. Three quarters of the time, there's no entry because people are on top of you so hard. The space is behind people. So, Anthony, is it is it that the coaches or the coaching staff is literally content to watch what we saw happen in the second period because they didn't get scored on, or is it or they maybe they did? It was the early third they got scored on, right? Yeah, so they didn't get scored on. Are they content to say that's a fine period, or is it the players? Some, there's a disconnect, and the players aren't listening, or just sort of have their own ideas about things. No, I think it's I think it's systemic. Like when you're watching, like back to back to back, D zone faceoffs, and that's what like that's a faceoff play. I mean, every team in the league has faceoff plays. Also, like do the Leafs only have one faceoff play. Like what's happening? Like <laughs> we, we we can mix it up here. Like they're not like you know these aren't like kids like they they can digest more than one face-off play and like mix it up and use their brains but like it's completely systemic like I don't know how we would say otherwise like the guys blow the zone and and part of like you don't have like Nick Lindstrom and Brian Rafalski back there like you know yeah but like their defense isn't terrible this isn't like the worst defense they I've ever good seen on, paper. on the left for sure like right, like it should German be and, and Gardner enough, like, can make a stretch pass, but that's yeah. not really the point we're making, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I had watched, I had said on like that Leafs first game of the season, they played the Habs, and the Habs totally outplayed them. And like we're watching that, is that Habs defense better than the Leafs defense on paper without Weber? No, but they they this the support from the Habs forwards is night and day different. Yeah, like the forwards play a part too, yeah. but like. Well, it is the four technically blowing the zone, but like I again, I think it's all systemic at that point, and it's like that's how they're programmed to play. Like, you you can't tell me the Leafs' defense is that like these guys aren't terrible. I don't think Zaitsev can make a pass. Like I've seen, you know, who what was the game? Uh, it was the Calgary game where he he threw that like pant high sauce and it hit JT. Hit <laughs> JT in the stomach. And then it went down for, went for an, an icing, icing. and like. JT like turned his head to look at him and then like couldn't even do it and then just like looked up at the scoreboard <laughs> and then just skated to the faceoff circle to take the draw and you could tell he was like did I just get hit? That was that was his third icing of the game. Yeah, that he had a night that night, but you could tell JT was like did I just get hit in the pants with a pass like for no reason and it's now icing like what's but so okay I don't think he can make a pass but you know the rest of the group is they're serviceable like they can. They can play the game here, but there's just it's just how they're playing. Like I don't even know. It, it, did they just like watch Pitt the one year and they're like, "This is how we're playing." Space plays. Yeah, yeah. Sullivan talks about it all the time. Is that what you think? It, it like Anthony is. Are you thinking the coaching staff is looking at this and actually thinking it's okay? Yeah, like they don't or, they don't seem to mind. But like I, you know, I saw it. <sighs> I was very torn on this one comment, and I think Deck will agree with me on this. He. Last night, he said, I didn't mind our third. And I was like, what was this guy watching? Like, you can't possibly have enjoyed that he, third. When, he's, when Babcock walks up to the podium, he has written down uh, scoring chances by period in front of him. And I think he looked down at it and saw it was, I can't remember the number he likes to see in a period against, but it was below that number, so he didn't mind the third, I think. They didn't get out of their zone, though. Basically I it. think they can, they can yeah, qualify yeah. some of it as well, though, or quantify some of it, is that even though they're icing the puck regularly, they, they tend to win the de- defensive zone face-off after that or um, get get or be able to be set up uh, defensively with proper structure after losing a draw. It's, just playing, mind, with, like, it's, it's just playing with fire, though, and... I, I was talking to you guys a bit about this before we started recording. Like, 
this is like this team is in cup contender mode like people like i'm not down on the team and i know they're good and i know they're gonna make the playoffs i'm not trying to be negative i'm just trying to hold them to the standard of like you're a cup contender like start playing like it like start playing like a team like the other top teams do not play like this i'm sorry they don't not even pit like pit is like lazy at times as we saw with phil and malkin just like floating around <laughs> on saturday night yeah. but like that team digs deep when they have to and like they they're they get in on battles they have a bunch of guys that are um like right in your face the leafs have pretty much nobody who's like that other than zach hyman on a consistent basis and also pitt has like some creed you know some cred because they've won a couple cups with this group but like the bigger point with the leafs is i don't think they're at a point now where we're looking for like moral victories and we're looking for like little things or like this that like they need to be compared against the best like Vegas came in and pretty much doubled them up in shots. The Leafs didn't get out of their zone for two periods. You know, they went, what, five games in a row without scoring a goal in the first or second. And some of it's like, yeah, their power play isn't, like, as insanely good as it is on the road as it is at home right now, which is, like, it's double the percent. But, like, a large part of it is they're just, like, they're not generating anything. Teams are trapping them. Like, I don't think teams hate playing the Leafs. I certainly wouldn't hate playing the Leafs. I would be very scared about how explosive they could be and how offensive they are. But I wouldn't go into the game being like, I hate playing this team. Like, they're going to dominate us. We're not going to touch the puck. You know, I would be more like, if we make a mistake, there's a solid chance they shove it down our throat. But, you know, you can get physical with them. You can trap them. You can frustrate them. You can wait for them to make mistakes. Their defense is going to turn the puck over a ton. Vegas's D-men basically chilled in the neutral zone for the second and third, and then the Leafs just shot it out, and then they regrouped, and then they went right back in the Leafs zone. Yeah, Vegas yeah. wasn't pushing it was too just... hard. They had uh, they kind of they started their forecheck on later in the neutral zone, closer to the red the red line, and uh, yeah, they didn't they didn't push them too hard that way. They knew that their, the pass was coming up the middle anyway. So, and your point, Anthony, about like you, you get this pushback from fans about you know don't criticize wins and all that. Like, just take yourself back to how angry you were after Game Seven of the Bruins game, and ask yourself if the way that the Leafs are closing out on all these games is any different. And it's not like that. What they did against against Boston is exactly what they did the other night against Vegas. We saw them do it once against Winnipeg. Like, it's not how, as you say. A cup. It's just a cup standard now. It's not how good teams close out games. They generate ozone time, <laughs> and the Leafs. I, I was looking at the numbers uh, for the review the other day. Bottom eight, I think, in uh, possession share when they're when they're leading games. So this isn't. I I don't get like the there's a lot of anger when I see this happen because I remember Game Seven, <laughs> and I don't understand why these fans don't have that perspective. Like, I, I could care less about a win in November over Vegas at this point. Um, the points don't, the points are fine. But, like, it's about what's going to be sustainable winning hockey in the playoffs when we go up against an insanely hard division that we have to get out of and we try to close out a game against Boston or Tampa Bay because what we saw against Vegas is not going to do the trick. Yeah, I mean, who cares? You got two points in November against Vegas. Congrats, I mean... I don't I don't think that's the goal. That's not where we're at at this point with this team. So, you know, and hey, we, we've we been writing about this team. This is the 10th year for, for Hot Stove, right? Are we at 10 or 11? 10? No, 10, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so how good were those 10 years? They were bad. We're, very, we're well aware of how bad they've, they've been. <laughs> yeah. But we've now, like, things need to flip over. We, we've hit the point where, okay, we've had a few fun seasons. They've made the playoffs. But do we want to see this team winning in the playoffs? Or are we just happy to get there every year? And that's pretty much our standard at this point. And hope that maybe we get some mat- they're, they're Right now, they're a team that they can go far if the matchups go their way. I don't think they can play every team well. But they could play certain teams well if they get the matchups. Because they're just not very diverse, right? Which we've talked about a ton. Yeah, that's the thing. I think they've been trying to build up the organizational equity for so long. Like 
take any player you can, develop them as much as you can. Um, they've obviously got a really good development program where they can plug players in and, and develop a, a sub six foot left winger very well. And they, they all start to play like each other. Like, you know, uh, Trevor Moore's skating patterns look very similar to Andreas Janssen's who looks very similar to Timoshov's. Like these are players that are easy to acquire. Um, I think one of the quotes that Dubas had was that we can acquire um, size later. And I think now is the time. I don't, I'm not saying size for the sake of size to have a big player on the team. I'm saying that they don't have, when games like last night happen, they have no response other than some stick checking and long bombs. And it's just not, there's no, you know, plan B, plan C, plan D where you can go, okay, the game's not going well for us. We can lock it down and, and uh, force them to play on the boards. They can't do that. So, you know, to, so to clarify a question for, for you guys, if they are not able to sign Nylander this season, and we'll just say that Nylander sits out the year, they can't reach a deal. I don't know what's going to happen. There's still plenty of time, but let's just say that. Are you still pushing some chips into the middle of the table to make a legit run this year? Well, no, I'm not. No? But, no. Um, but the other the question is probably going to more center around the own rental question that we were at with JVR, and that'll pertain to Gardner, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's... Are we is 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 Gardner our deadline acquisition? That kind of same storyline that we talked about with JVR and Bozak last year. Such a trash line of thinking. I hate I, that line of thinking. I wouldn't be pushing my chips in the middle of the table with if Nylander's not there. That their their whole team building or the way that they built their team is built around having crazy forward depth, where you've got uh, three really good duos with Marner and JT Matthews and Nylander and probably Kapitan and and. Uh, in Kadri. Um once you start removing a player from that now you've got players playing a bit too high in the lineup and you've got a player that's probably not a true first liner in Kappen and playing a little bit higher than he should and it just doesn't it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same explosiveness to me and they don't have you know it's not like they have a great decor that they can they can say well we've got we've got all this down here they don't um and I, I wouldn't push my my cards in and I I would definitely trade Gardner because Walking away after two seasons of losing JVR for free, Bozak for free, Kamra for free, and some might argue that he didn't have much value towards the deadline, but obviously value at least for one team. And then Gardner the next year, you kind of go, well, what team can say that they let these caliber of four players go for free and haven't made it out of the first round of the playoffs on top of, on top of trading a second-round pick for Brian Boyle and the year after Placanic, like what kind of asset management asset management is that? Do you remember what was the Brian Brian Burke quote, Anthony? Me and you used to bat it back and forth about you don't buy unless you're damn sure you're getting out of the first round. Is that what it was? Yeah, basically, right. He said, you know, if you're yeah. gonna get in the first round and bloody someone's nose, then so be it. But yeah, that's it. If, yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna be buying, you better be getting out of the first round. I think it. I I think originally that quote might have been like you better be a Final Four team, but. The league is pretty much at the point where if you get out of the first round, you you feel you have a chance. It's just that it's that tight, right? Yeah. I mean, if you if you can win the first round, but the thing last year, and I'd I'd said this last year, you had to go through Boston and then Tampa, and then I had I had figured it would be Pitt, but it was Washington. Um, like that was just such a such a tall order, and then to not trade. Bozak or JVR and then just lose in round one like it just to me that wasn't I think they had an opportunity there to really set themselves up and we're already seeing the cap squeeze and you know just like throwing away second round picks which essentially what they did especially with the Buchanich deal um you know the first year okay they wanted to make the playoffs and all that they were making the playoffs regardless of whether they traded for Buchanich so that's why I said the Buchanich one was a bit more of a waste yeah, the Boyle one was like they beat Tampa out by a point. So the Boyle yeah. move was like legitimately probably moved the needle was on the margins was the difference. Turn them into a four line team and probably help them yeah. make the playoffs. Turn them into a four line team for the last 15, 20 games and they, they just barely edged out the team they acquired them from. So I, that's they place high priority that's in making fair. the playoffs and having that as a learning experience for the kids as well. And I can see the, the value in that. But but the point is is we're seeing the cap crunch starting to hit already. And, I, and you know, this is when you just have to have the pure GM hat on. 
you need to continue churning out young talent. I mean, and do you expect Anthony a philosophical difference in that exactly what you just talked about between Lou and Dubas? I don't know. I, I've I have a I don't. It's hard to get a feel for Dubas. I mean, okay, he signed Tavares. I don't want to underplay that. Massive, obviously, it's a borderline franchise changing move. The rest of the moves were basically I'm gonna call up my AHL guys and sign a guy from Sweden and sign a guy from Russia. Don't forget that. And sign a guy who got bought out, who's the smallest guy in the league. And I mean, I they're the bottom of their roster kind of looks like that. It, it you know, I I don't think there's a pass on that. I, I'd said the beginning of the season. I I think well, everyone talks about the defense, and like I made five predictions at the start of the season. I said everyone's talking about the defense, but I think they're going to have to acquire someone for the bottom half of that roster of that forward group because. It's just not good enough right now, and, and some of these guys need to settle into roles. And I actually thought Lindholm had a respectable game against Vegas. He was strong on the dot, and um, he his positioning was good, and he he looked the most comfortable I've seen him at center, which was very promising. But I've said this before: having guys that just know how to play, like chip in for their 12 minutes or whatever it is, is important. Having guys that can take the temperature of a game and go out and change it also important. I mean, right now the temperature of a game changes when Mitch Marner goes end to end, and that's it. Yeah. Well, in fairness, they're only the team we projected was a completely different team than what we're seeing right now. It's a two-line team right now with the third and fourth line doing basically nothing. So they're like an average, above-average team right now, from in terms of the amount of stars they have. And there's not many teams that wouldn't be without Matthews and. Yeah, a top three or four player in Nylander as well. Take take Stamkos and Kucherov or whatever. Stamkos and point off Tampa. What do they look like? I mean, they've got better D than Leafs, but probably not as not that good. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It didn't take them very much uh, to to miss the playoffs. What was it? I I do wonder if we'll see like something from Dubis, knowing that he is a. I think it's fair to describe him as an outside the box thinker. Is something we do know about him. Uh, if he would actually do a buy and sell strategy at the same time, the well, other he, thing he too. was questioned about this, and I'm, I'm just remembering it now. He was questioned about this, and I can't remember which publication put it out, but uh, he basically said it's fanciful for uh, for fans to think that they would sell as contenders at the deadline. Like, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, because uh, you you can't. How do you walk into the room afterwards and say like we're, kind of we're thing, going right? for it, but yeah. we just got rid of a thirty goal scorer? Or uh, but you mitigate that if you go well. We think we improved our team in the net. Yeah. Because we brought in this guy, right? And maybe it's maybe it's not a rental. Maybe that piece that Anthony's talking about that they clearly need in their bottom six, someone who can play and is big and heavy. Emphasis on can also play. Um, Priority on. <laughs> maybe they can find. Maybe the idea is to find someone that's not just going to be here for two months, right? The, I'll um, say two things to that. One, when we talk about why it would be just a missing piece, because if they get Nylander back, and then when Matthews returns. They need a left winger to play with Kadri and Kapanen. Right now, I don't think they have it, and I would prefer... The left wing in general is something they've got to address in the next year. Yeah. Some of the questions we had at, at uh, Hot Stove just for the podcast was, what are they doing at, at left wing? And they've got players coming. I mean, they've got a, a plethora of sort of good, small... You could see some middle six guys maybe coming out of there, yeah. right? The Grundstrom's and the maybe Engvall gets there It'd be nice at some if, point. I would even consider getting a left winger a little bit higher in the lineup and have and running Marlowe, Kadri, and Kapanen. If I could. As your L three? Yeah. Right? And and try to yeah, get like a better left winger for the top six. Maybe you know, um Marlowe's picked it up a little bit, but it wouldn't be a bad idea. And the other thing too is the Marlies were not a soft team. Like Rich Clune played a ton. Like he had a regular role Marchman. on that team. Marchment is very similar to his dad, and I say that in as endearing way as possible because I loved Brian Marchment more than <laughs> most. Um, you know, like Colin Greening is is gritty and heavy. Goat, uh, they you know the point team. being, yeah, it was a well. It wasn't this wasn't a, a team of bottom six guys that were small and weren't physical. That was not that Marley's team that just won a championship. They they yeah. had size and they they had a mix 
and they could grind and, and bang with the best of teams. Uh, teams weren't pushing them around. So, I don't know. When we talk about what Dubas is going to do, I don't know. We haven't... He hasn't done much so far. I mean, not that he hasn't done much. He hasn't had a ton of time yet. Um, he had a pretty set roster, too, going into camp. I mean, you're just sort of plugging in, filling in the back of the of the team just to sort of see what, what you have, bringing a player yeah. out a uh, league minimum contract. I mean, yeah, I and also this, wonder. But you're right. Like he first... hasn't made the he hasn't made the trade. No. He hasn't made a trade that gives you a bit of an inkling on his philosophy about where this team's at yet. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, and I also think that they will definitely sit there and say we haven't seen our team in full yet, which is fair. They're going to sit there and be like, well, Matthews hasn't played, or he's barely played, and obviously Nylander hasn't played. If if they sign Nylander, hopefully in the coming weeks. And then Matthews returns. They're going to want to see that for a month. I would, I would if I was him. Yeah, right? The, let's see what this superstars. Group. You want to see them all play together? Yeah. Let's see what this full team is like, and then start moving things around accordingly. But so we're probably even steps ahead right now. In my mind, though, I'm thinking already to that point because I could care less about November hockey. It's not the greatest. <laughs> It, teams are just starting to round. I think Washington just started trying like last week. I mean, no team talked more about how much they partied in the summer than the Washington Capitals. I I forget the exact quote from Oshie, but he basically said, "I like we don't even care because we won the cup." What was it that uh, DSB tweeted out or whatever? It was good luck to someone who said they were going to top Oh yeah, I, f- yeah. I forget <laughs> who they said they were going to party more than them, and yeah. he just said good luck. <laughs> and and he and he was he came to camp extremely out of shape, right? Like why isn't DSB playing start the season? And and Tom Reardon was just just like yeah, he's not in shape, but <laughs> he he <laughs> lived his best life. Yeah, and he had those issues in the O too. I mean, he was on he was on the bike all the time in Mississauga. Um, just the stories there were, were great coming from him. But um, so you know, the Leafs should want to see what their full what their full roster looks like and and move things along that way. I think at the end of the day, I kind of picture things in my mind as in reunite that uh, Hyman Matthews Nylander line, perfect world drop. Marlow down to play with Kapanen and and Kadri, and then find find someone with a bit more uh, jam to play with Tavares and potentially even another guy for the fourth line, in terms of the forward group. The defense group is. It, I would love to see Travis Dermott step into a role that makes the team feel fairly comfortable with not providing a long term commitment to Jake Gardner. And let's we're almost at an hour, so let's just. Start to wrap this up here. Maybe a quick anything that you guys are seeing around the league that might be uh, interesting or worth bringing up. Obviously, the the Senators Uber video is jeez. <laughs> it's when you think it couldn't get any worse in Ottawa. New and extraordinary ways uh, they prove you wrong. And so I've been. I mean, I I I feel for the players there, but it's also really funny. Like. I've been saying fucking rights mellow more times than any man should since watching that. Like it's, it's really funny, but like I, it's also like the Uber driver is clearly a clown, and every team, sports, concession stand workers, whatever, they all bitch about their bosses among at coworkers. At least didn't right? ask the Uber driver to look in his direction. Do you guys remember the Rhymer, the Rhymer mom story, and Burke was all yeah, you know. PO'd about it. Said he would. He said he'd break Festjack's nose. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. So he was at the conference, and he said, "If I was, if I was the sports editor, and my journalist gave this to me, I wouldn't publish it." And then someone, I want to say it was Sean Fitzgerald, but I could just be making that up. In the audience, was said, "That's a legit story. I'd publish that every time." And Burke was like, "I'd punch him in the face, or whatever. I'd punch him in the nose." I've been thinking about that a well, lot this week because if I'm the sports editor of the Ottawa Citizen and and they send me that video and they say publish it, I'd say absolutely not. Yeah, I just well, you see what's happening right now, eh? I'm sure it got more page views than anything else they did. Anything they will YouTube's, this year. YouTube has uh, YouTube's pulled it because it's against their terms of service to to put up footage of someone who was taped against their consent like that. And the Citizen is currently battling with the organization because the 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 article went up without a byline because no one wanted no journalist wanted to put their name to it uh but 
the senator's organization right now is trying to find a way to get the citizen to remove it. And so far they haven't. But the actual content of the video, it's tough because like you don't want to string any of these guys up for being human beings at the end of the day and venting about a frustrating situation at work because we've all done that uh, for sure. But Matt, how do you think Matt Duchesne comes off as a veteran in the room who's in the car with three rookies in white, Shabbat, and Formentin? Formentin, by the way, soon went down afterwards, which is kind of a funny thing in itself. I was talking with a buddy about this because I'm in Ottawa here, for those that don't know, and the every single time he's been tracking it that Boucher compliments a guy and says he really likes him, Dorian either sends him down or returns him to junior. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's happened with Christian Jaros, uh, Wolainen, uh, and now if Formentin too, he's like, I love his speed, I want it here, and Dorian sent him down the next day. Uh, so it's an incredible gong show that's taking place in Ottawa. But on the Duchesne front, like three rookies and DeMello and Tierney, both of which came over just before the season started in the Carlson deal. Like, I don't know. Do you think, how do you think that's perceived around the league, Anthony, if you're looking at Matt Duchesne as a potential UFA addition? Uh actually from within the league i can act i can honestly say i've heard this is the the sentiment seems to be that uh the fact that it came out was completely unacceptable and it's a normal thing essentially you know ripping on the coach uh and i don't think it's too poorly perceived i don't think it's massively gonna, you know whether he plays well or not is really going to be the story for him i just think Personally, I'll say, you know, he was on Colorado and made a huge stink about leaving. And then he left and Colorado took off. And then he went to Ottawa and was like, it's good to be on, like, you know, a playoff contender and all this stuff. And then Ottawa went down the tubes. Within a year, this is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm him, I'm just, you know, I'm a Boy Scout the entire season. And I know, you know, he wasn't. He didn't publicly come out and do anything wrong per se because he obviously didn't know he was getting filmed. I just you're in a you're in a vehicle with with a bunch of young guys, like young, impressionable rookies and stuff. I mean, you could you could just be better than that. So that it's disappointing yeah. to to see that. But you know, just the I haven't paid attention in three weeks thing, I mean that's gonna stand out for a long time. I don't think it's gonna hurt him as a as a potential free agent. I just I don't think he was he was ever viewed as a as a core piece um not ever but in the, over the last few years I think he's firmly fallen out of you're not a core piece you're a complementary piece. Yeah, and uh, on the flip side of who comes off poorly of, uh, of Borrell and Eugene covering this topic <laughs> between two ferns. <laughs> on the flip side of who comes off poorly in that video versus who come uh who's come out i think even more impressive for me is mark stone because he had the i don't know if you guys saw but it wasn't any of the players it wasn't dorian it wasn't anyone from management or the coaching staff who came out and met with the media about that video it was a collection of players that had nothing to do with it and we're not in the car. Led by Mark Stone, who had to basically face the music for his teammates video getting released. And so he deals with that in the morning. And then he goes out in that New Jersey game last night and has a five-point night. So the Senators aren't worthy of this guy at this point. But they should be doing whatever they can. If it's, I'll put the C on your chest tomorrow. Whatever it is to keep uh, <laughs> to keep Mark Stone in Ottawa at this point. I thought that was the most insane uh, thing. I mean... Whatever, I would totally lose Duchesne like 50 times over to keep Mark Stone. And then to have Stone mm-hmm. go out there and answer questions about Duchesne and like Chris Weidman. I was. Yeah. Like, um, that's an Zach interesting. Smith, too, was just on waivers a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, honestly, they put they basically put him out to pasture and, and then. Make guys know, that now he's a leader. Walk the plank with the media. That's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have done it. Those guys are nicer than me. I would just. No way. <laughs> Go send Duchesne out to answer, and there's no point of delaying it either. I, I mean, 
what, Duchesne is going to escape getting asked questions about it? Just have him go out there and just answer it right away. What are you wasting your time for? Yeah. Yeah. What does, what does Babcock say? They've got a they've got a PR girl that, or was it a psychologist that was saying if, uh, if the, the less or the more that you let this stuff go on, the worse it gets. You have to stand up there and own your shit. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, that's a good saying. What's the game if we say what to the what to the Leafs say about Babs and the Ubers? <laughs> you know, probably talk a lot about having a rum by the lake. By the fire. If, if he says if he says, if he says kitchen counter. Yeah, if he says kitchen counter accountability or kitchen table accountability, one more time. If you're in the Leafs Uber and you don't say good pro, I think you've lost the game. I mean, you have to, right? Mm-hmm. It's that. Uh, all the nicknames he has for guys. You know, Brownie probably gets called Brownie Brown all the time, sarcastically, I imagine, in a Leafs Uber without Babcock there. It's totally normal. Like I felt bad for the Sens for that. I mean... Anyone who says they've never ripped on their boss before when their boss isn't around is just lying. Hmm. Don't trust that person. Well, I think the, the maybe the one difference, and of course, there's so many Babcockisms that you can that I'm sure that the team makes fun of, not just behind his back, but definitely in front of his face. And, and to that point, like Babcock, I think the communication level with Babcock is is what he's prides himself on. And I think it's a huge part of who he is as a coach. And what that whole Ottawa situation smacked of was just the lack of communication like if you're frustrated about something in the pk why aren't you bringing it up like what's wrong with you you're a leader on the team yeah you you don't like something the way something's working on the penalty kill you're on the say, penalty something. Kill. say something say <laughs> something yeah and i loved it's incredible. i loved babcock's response to it when he basically said you're always on like you're always on you're always recorded at this point you can't take that for granted i thought that was a very he basically set the stage to say this better never happen to our team and there's no excuse for it to happen. And if it does, I've set the table to, to punish if I need to, you know, Babcock's big thing is come to me. If you just come to me, like there's no hard feelings. And that, that I love that Zetterberg quote the other day from him where he's like, if if Zetterberg was right here in front of me, we could talk about this. (laughs) That's how he likes to settle things. And And accuse you of slashing. There's so much sniping. There's so much sniping from what I hear going on behind each other's backs in the Sens dressing room, and Boucher has no control over any of it, and it's a complete gong show. The other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, a league point for you guys before we close this out because it's getting really long now, is are you surprised at all? Because, Anthony, I'll give you credit here. You you called at least a good start. I don't know if you said they're going to have a good year, but a good start from the Islanders. Um, what most impressed me there probably is the job of, of Barry Trotz which is this guy, I mean, I watched the Islanders play uh, the other night. Uh, they ended up losing to the Habs in OT, but you watch them and they have all of those trademark characteristics of a team that's just on a complete PDO bender. Like their their goaltenders are playing unreal, Grice and Leonard. They're really opportunistic. It feels like they're going to score every time they counterpunch. Um, I don't think it's going to last. You look at them and they're in the bottom five or something in, in possession, they definitely like Trotz doesn't have the horses, but you got to give Trotz some some props here because just because of the adaptability of him, like he's coached. We talked about this, I think, before. Uh, he's coached so many different types of teams successfully. Like you go back to the defensive shutdown Predators teams, the high octane Caps teams, and now here in New York, like he just. He just wins. He, he, he figures out how to bring out a team's strength, and he builds a structure and a system around those strengths. And I find that sort of adaptability really impressive. Uh, have you guys caught any of the Islanders so far? Yeah, I actually watched that game against the Habs, um, most of it. Leo Komarov had a, a really nice play, actually, on a two-on-one to set up uh, Valtteri Filippola for a goal. But one of the reasons I, sa- I thought they would come out and, and be respectable to start is... They signed a bunch of vets, and while I don't think vets get you through a season, vets are usually pretty pretty good in the beginning of the season when the game is a little weird and teams have rookies. You know, the, we just mentioned mistakes. open ice mistakes. We just mentioned how the Sens had a bunch of these young guys that they then send back down to junior. The hockey's not that structured yet. Usually vets have a pretty good way about themselves early in the season to get around unless they just don't have their legs cough Ron Hainsey cough Patrick Marlowe um 
but they <laughs> they usually know how to just get around and, and and make things work. So that was a big reason why I thought. I mean, Trotz is still a good coach. I think we're seeing the same thing in Montreal. Like Claude Julien's a good coach. Yeah, for five. yeah, they're for a long time. I had him in the top five. He's still probably right around there. You can't you can't forget about that kind of impact if they can get the team to buy in. A lot of these teams, right? It's just like, can you get them to buy in and push towards the direction together? Much like we saw Vegas last season. Yeah, I don't think the Habs. I think the Habs are going to hang around like a bad smell longer than than we wished. Uh, as long as Carey Price stays healthy. Jo- the, the way that Price is playing and how structured, like that team came out of the preseason looking like their midseason form as far as like how Julian had them drilled. And it's hungry and urgent. Like, I don't know what they are right now. They're, what are they? A second wild card with a point or two behind the Leafs? I don't know. They were points out of the like Leafs the, last week. Yeah, yeah. And Weber's back in a couple months. Uh, Petrie looks, has really emerged. Uh, that decor is better than the sum of its parts. We'll see. Uh, hopefully it doesn't last, but I think they're going to be a nuisance for for quite a while. So let's let's call it there, guys. I know we uh, Declan asked for questions in the comments from the MLHS uh, comment section, but we only I think we actually inter, interweave some of them into our overall dialogue here. But next episode we'll try to do a bit more of a actual straight up Q and A where we get one uh we roll through each of your questions a little bit more so we'll see you again in a couple weeks you've been listening to the maple leafs hot stove podcast for news opinion and analysis make sure to go to maple and join the conversation thanks for listening